welcome back to what episode are we on now? Episode four? Episode four of Gahooligans. The show where we talk about owls and children's books from 20 years ago that are still super relevant to us. I'm yeah. CJ. And I'm PB. And today we are covering the back half of The Journey, book two of Guardians of Gahool. And I am ready to spill some lukewarm takes, let me tell you. <laughs> Ooh, lukewarm. That might be a little <laughs> bit too hot for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, before we start, of course, we have to do our first segment, the Miles check. He is currently uh, curled up and a bagel dog in my lap. Yeah, I wanted to ask specifically today on how we would rank the hierarchy of Miles' fears. Scariest thing is wind-up toys, followed by maybe vacuum, which we aren't afraid of, but do hate all the same. Uh, I would put va- vacuum a couple tiers lower, because like he doesn't like it, but it's more of a rival than a terrifying Yeah, he's thing. not scared of it, he just um, doesn't like it. Snowmen? Snowmen, snowmen are, are terrifying. Yeah, distrust those snowmen. Do not trust them, they're made of snow, not flesh. And they're not men. Uh-huh. What's going on there? Um. Neighbor sounds go pretty low, but whenever they open or shut doors, like... Can't trust need, doors. Yeah, we need to at least grumble at that. Um, when PB or CJ's gone... Well, of course. That's not allowed. Oh, and I can't tell whether it is a fear or a want to play, but there is a ghost dog that haunts him through the windows at night, and sometimes in the TV screen when it's off, and he has feelings about that. It looks just like him, except it's weird and black and white. Yeah. And it barks at him whenever he barks. It's weird. Are we suitably off track enough? Yeah, I think to bring us back, I'm glad that Miles does not have nearly as many fears as our owls at the Great Gahool Tree do. Oh, are you kidding? Our owls at the Great Gahool Tree have a no sprunken fears. Our little owlets are idiots for the rest of the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, actually, if you're ready. Um, I have one quick correction from our last episode. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I said that Utlissa being a, uh, Utlissa being a spotted owl meant that she was also a Taito. I'm wrong. She's a Strix genus. Strix Occidentalis. Which really I should have corrected because she does not shut up about being a Strix ever. Okay, good, good. So being we both a Strix messed up there. is her number one personality trait and the rest of Utlissa may not as well exist. Also, Snowy Owl's genus is Bubo. So that's where Bubo the Blacksmith gets uh, his name. Well, also a correction from last time. Um, Utlissa is not our love interest. I, we have not yet met our love interest. So I'm, um, I, I don't have it ready for this episode. We'll have to wait for the next episode for my shipping chart. Oh boy. I guess next time I'll have to check in with you on the shipping forecast. <laughs> but what I do have for you this time around is a owl vocabulary speed run. Okay, are we going to do that first, or are we going to do a quick plot summary first? Well, I think if we do all of these vocab speed round, um, we'll be, like, ready for the summary. Now, here's the thing. Actually, no, I'm not going to tell you the thing. I'm just going to list off a word, and you get, like, two seconds to tell me what it is. That That is mean. I would like five seconds. You cannot have five seconds. There are too many words. Okay. So, we're introduced to a whole lot of new words in the back half of this book. Mario Kart style, are you ready? I was legit thinking I would put a Mario Kart starting sound here. (laughs) Here we go. Bonk. Um, that's when you hit your head against the thing. Incorrect. Slip gizzle. 
Um, that's when you yarp, but it kind of comes up more liquid. Incorrect. Gutter. Uh, well, that's where the bowling ball goes. Incorrect. Scuppers. Um, are those little booties? Incorrect. Swillages. Um, those are villages full of swill? Incorrect. Upwind scupper. Oh, which is different from scupper. It's like a tricky little wind current that will mess you up. You are closer than you have been so far. Hurly burly. Um, that's when you really start to go flying and just spin and head over her tail in like a really fast gust of wind and you can't really control yourself. Not even close, but this is the point of the vocab list where Utlissa begins to demand a written vocab list in the text and Soren gives the spronk up. Uh, baggy wrinkles. Um. Two seconds. <laughs> Pite. Um. Pite? <laughs> Cannot answer the question with the same that's word. Nautical Northwest. <laughs> fire blinking. Um, that's like moon blinking, but with fire. Instead. Exactly, you got it. That's your that's your first correct answer. Good job. Uh, pressure differential. Oh, uh, well, that's like actually like high pressure and low pressure systems interacting, and you can kind of start to tell and feel it. You know, like when your ears pop. You're two for like fifteen. Keep it up. Thermal inversion. Um. That's when you end up with a pocket of cold air trapped below a pocket of hot air. Correct. That's three. Yeah, I grew up in a valley. We would get those sometimes. Convective columns. Um, that is big updrafts coming from a fire. Boom! You're at, you're at four. We got three left. Crowning. Oh, that is when a forest fire goes from burning the underbrush to actually to the tops of trees and starts jumping from treetop to treetop. I guess I should not put any uh, forest fire vocab in this list, and you will just get them if they, if they come up. Yeah, that's yeah. five. Gizuition. Oh, that's intuition using your gizzard. Excellent, that's six. And gizzlemia. Is that like nausea, but in your gizzard? I mean, kind of? Sort of, yeah. What, what was your definition? Uh, so Gizzlemia, this is relevant, actually, all of the words I wrote down today are chronologically <laughs> what happens in the back half of this book. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So Gizzlemia is what we end on, and bonk and slip gizzle and gutter and <laughs> scuppers and swillages, that's what we start on. Because if I did not give you these vocab words... There is no way in Great Holy Glocks you could tell me what happens in the back half of the journey. Well, given that I only got like a third of them and uh-huh. you didn't define any of the ones I didn't get. Uh-huh. 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 You know why I didn't define any of the words you didn't get? Why not? Because there's no definitions. I mean, bonk is when you hit your head against the thing unless no. someone can argue otherwise. No. Um. So I... A 28-year-old human adult went through and created definitions by context clues, a thing which, at 10 years old, I definitely could not do to this extent. You are underestimating 10-year-old CJ there. No, I'm pretty sure that 10-year-old CJ looked at these words and went, Ah, I am not supposed to understand these, because it's clear Soren does not understand these, so I'm going to skip it and move on. It's immersive world-building. It's a problem. Lukewarm take number one. Um, these words don't work. In the last book, we got all of these new vocab words, and it was all about 
horror, you know? Uh-huh. All of these unknown things that you have to be afraid of, and they have scary names like Moon Scalding. Hagsmire. Hagsmire. But here we have Bonk and Slip Gizzle, Gutters and Scuppers, and it's all stuff that Soren still doesn't know anything about because he's still a dum-dum. I think a lot of it is like um, flying jargon, if I remember right now. Uh, a good portion of it is, yes. Um, the two words that aren't are bonk, which is used by Bubo, uh-huh. towards the, be- the beginning of this second half. Uh, Bubo is our blacksmith. Yes, yes, I remember Bubo, the snowy owl blacksmith, who's always gray. Yeah, so if you, knowing that, if you had to take another guess at bonk, um, has to do with fire. Yeah. Is it a verb or a noun? It's an adjective. Oh. A fire can be bonk. And it's okay like if you don't know anything bonkers? from there. It's okay if you cannot explain it from there, because neither can Bubo. Soren straight up asks Bubo, what do you mean a fire can be bonk? And Bubo's like, oh, it's a blacksmithing term. You know you got a bonk fire when it's got some, like, green and blue in it in there. Yeah, it's a bonk fire. I see, so it's a perfectly cromulent word. I don't even know what that means. So if it sounds like we're just sitting around having conversations with Bubo, that's accurate. That's what we're doing. That's, that's what's happening in the back half of this book. Take it from there. All right, so we're chilling with Bubo, blazing it up with, uh, with like, metal crafting fires. With metal crafting fires. <laughs> We're not even doing that. That would be interesting. No, just And talk- that's not allowed in the back half just, of this book. Just talking about fire and all the different colors that can show up in fires. Um, and let's see, we have the rest of the band have found their um, chaws. Are about to, yeah, are about to be uh-huh. chawed. We have to attend classes first. Yay! It sounds like it should be fun. Uh-huh, uh-huh, that's my favorite thing about, like, the magical school subgenre, seeing all the wacky classes that our kids go to. Well, that's exactly the problem, is we're, we're totally changing genres. We had the first half of this book, everything happening, you know, going all the places, fighting all the things. Yeah, and now we have to settle into a brand new setting. I don't know, part of me was like, oh, this should have been three books, like, to get to the end of this book. Part of me was like, well, it could have just been one. I'm pretty sure, maybe it's just hatred, but Uh I'm pretty sure that these classes exist to show us that Utlissa is a horrible owl being. I I realize I sound prejudiced. I realize I have had rants about Utlissa before, but also... She's existed for like 100 pages. Less than. At this point, she's existed for about 20, and I hate her already. (sighs) So, we have the whole band taking a class from Doolap, the Gahoolology Rib. Uh-huh, which is always like the, it's, it's the job that nobody wants. It's like you're on cleanup duty, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your job is to find and bury pellets for the tree, and that's the class. So we spend a chapter doing that. Mm-hmm. And complaining about it, yeah? And complaining about it, while Utlissa keeps, like, volunteering to go find other people's poop? It's not poop, it's pellets. It's very okay, different. Okay, okay, but it's poop. I She's... will fight you on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it is a digestive process and it is the waste product of that digestive you, process. I will let you call it excrement, but not poop. What is, no, if it's excrement, it's poop. She's gathering and burying other owls' poop. That's weird. And she's volunteering to do it to look good to the teacher. Somebody has to do it. Yeah, that's Dulap's point, but nobody likes him. Yeah, you know, just like people who have to make sure that plumbing works. And prior to human civilizations having plumbing, you know, waste management was an even bigger problem. Uh, apparently, it's like keeping the tree alive or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Taking all of the nutrients that they don't digest from their animals and giving them to a tree. Anyway, the band is being, like, super rude, actually, though. Yeah, they're kind of... They're being disrespectful teenagers. Yeah, they are being disrespectful teens. Oh, this is the most boring class. Oh, this is the most boring teacher. I don't know what I'll do if I'm tapped for this chaw. Oh, my glocks. I can't believe I have to do these rack drops every day. Oh, hang on. Let me find, let me find the passage from Soren, because it is... Something. Here it is. So after having another class with uh, Ezelrib, who get, we'll get more into Ezelrib. Yes. But Ezelrib is in charge of the weather interpretation chaw. Um, and Soren says after the class, Great Glocks! I'll just die if I get tapped for the weather interpretation chaw. I mean, can you imagine having Ezelrib as your chaw leader, it's just too creepy to think about. Like, Ezelweb is, like, old and gnarled, but I don't know if he's creepy. Oh my glocks. Do you recall from last episode I wanted to talk about ableism? Yes, I do. We have to talk about Ezelweb and ableism. Yes, that was on the docket for today. It's bad. Um... And, and it's not the first time we've come across it in these books. We kind of glanced over Hortense. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about how she was um, affected by the flecks in the water. Yeah. And too and, small. Yeah, like never really finished owl puberty. So right. Like never really got the ability to fully fly. Like she could kind of fly, but not fully. And she still looked like an owlet yeah. to pass as one, even as like a full grown owl. And after she died, and we get these like hero praise moments of her basically we have this um oh my gosh you're so brave yeah yeah you're such an inspiration that i know disabled people just love to yeah, hear yeah their absolute favorite stereotype uh-huh so that's hortense and in this book we have an instant of miss plithifer referring to twilight as a Special needs case? Ooh. Right. And I know these are early 2000s books. Uh -huh. The Arsler is still fading out of usage uh -huh. at this point when these books are released. But man, you look at it now and it's, it's a cringe moment. Yeah, yeah. So we have those kind of backhanded comments. But then we get to Ezelrib. I know that Ezelrib is like ancient. And I can't remember if he's one-eyed or blind. Neither. No? Could have sworn. We will get to that. <laughs> so I have here on page 124, kind of our first introduction 
to Ezelrib, the great and terrible. The only problem with the library was the old, whiskered screech, Ezelrib. He was always there, and he was still as frightening as he had been that day when Soren first saw him in the Parliament and felt his squinted eye burning into him. The old bird rarely spoke, and when he did, it was in a low, growlish hoot. He had a fondness for caterpillars and kept a store of dried ones for when they were out of season, and these he put in a little pile by his desk in the library. It was not what Ezelrib did say that Soren and Gilfie found unnerving. It was what he didn't. He seemed to quietly observe everything, even as he read with his one and a half eyes. Every once in a while he admitted, emitted a low growl of what they could only feel was disapproval. But worst of all was his deformed foot. Oh, of course, of course. And although Soren and Gilfie knew it was impolite to stare, their eyes just seemed drawn to that foot. Soren admitted to Gilfie that he couldn't help it, and Gilfie said she herself was fearful of making some terrible slip. Remember when Matron came in the other day to serve tea, and she asked me to take the cup to him, and I asked if he wanted his usual with it, whatever that was. I was so afraid I was going to say something like, Ezelrib, Matron would like to know if you'd like your tea with your usual fourth talon. Soren laughed, but he knew exactly what Gilfie meant. Is he basically just missing one talon? That's he's missing one talon, and he's got a squinty eye because he's the weather chaw leader. Uh huh. He flies in hurricanes, and he's also like the oldest owl that like is currently alive. And this is not the only passage we get of. Oh, Soren's eyes are riveted to that talon. Uh-huh. Look at the at at one point. All respect to Ezelrib, he takes his spronken foot and uh-huh. dangles it in front of Soren's face and basically says, get a good look, youngin. Uh-huh. And I really respect that, but also, we I mean, you gotta take a second, like, he's written like a villain. Yeah, which, I we will take a hard turn to him be, he's basically just Yoda. He is Yoda. <laughs> he's 100% Yoda. <laughs> the old, wrinkled, Wise master here to teach us all of the forbidden arts and be wise and uh, probably die at some point. I don't remember when. I know there's there's a third very like derogatory passage like this as sort of the next big event happens. Is this our chaw sorting? Yes, our chaw sorting and our first double chaw weatherer and coiling assignment. Uh-huh, and that's what Soren gets, of course. Yeah, oh, uh, our special boy gets the specialist cha. There's, there's yes. no, yeah. The one that he didn't want to get, of course. Except he's not sure. He does not know what he wants. He has to, actually, Ezelrib gives him a book on immature gizzards. <laughs> and that is the moment when Ezelrib has to dangle his foot in front of Soren's face and be like, look at it, also read this book. People are different than you. Live with it. And Soren does not get it. He does not understand because he has an immature gizzard. Yeah, yeah. So Soren does not know what he wants. He gets this double chaw with Utlissa. Yes. 
Because you said last time that you can only get the Coilier Cha. Uh, if you also do weather interpretation. Yes. Yeah. Does Ezelrib also run the Coiliers? Also, by the way, neither of us are sure if we're saying this word right. <laughs> but it is the fire cha. It's one of those words I've only seen written and I've never actually heard said out loud. Anyway, it's unclear if Ezelrib is actually in charge of coiling. It's only stated that he's in charge of weather interpretation, but he's always there for the coiling anyway. So... So why are they two separate chas? Unclear. Okay. <laughs> We we see all of the same owls whenever we see either Chaw, so... It's just the same classes, I guess. Anyway, back to ableism, because I'm on my pellets today. Yes. Um, There's a moment, as we're making fun of Ezelrib's squinted eye, mm-hmm. while we are actively flying in a hurricane. Uh-huh. Because that's the next big event, is yeah, hurricane yeah. flying. And that's when we got a lot of that vocab we went through. Gutter, scuppers, swillages, upwind scupper, hurly burly, baggy wrinkles. Those are all storm words. Uh-huh. Different kinds of like wind patterns you can run into as you're flying. Yep. Yep, exactly. Um, and there's a moment that we make fun of Ezelrib's eyes. And he must have damaged his third eyelid from flying in all of these storms. Yeah, you can't see the future without a third eyelid. That's that's different, for sure. Okay, but you asked me to look this up, and yeah. owls do have third eyelids. They have really? clear eyelids that go from the inside corners of their eyes horizontally out. Like windshield wipers. Yeah, like windshield wipers are like protective lenses that they can use to protect their eyes while they're flying and they need to keep their eyes open. Or also when they're like diving for prey to like protect their eyes if mm. like a, a prey animal were to like scratch at their eyes or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. See, I read that and I knew it had to be true. One blog post I read on this said like, yeah, owls have three eyelids. They have their uh, upper eyelids for blinking, their lower eyelids for sleeping, and their inner eyelids for protecting them while they fly. I have one more uh, ableist owl depiction. Yeah. Actually, I have two more, but I can't tell you about the last one. It's a spoiler. Uh Uh-huh. Who I have who I'm curious to see if you even remember her, yeah. is Ruby. Do you remember anything about Ruby the Owl? No. That sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't think we talked about her last time. Um, so no, I don't remember. Ruby is in our new Chaw. She is also double Chawed in Weather and Quietly. Uh-huh. And she is a natural flyer. She is incredibly good. We get to see her in this in this storm, like flying upside down and doing advanced tail movements. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's not an innuendo of any kind. She's just really good. Yeah, do a barrel roll. That's a neat trick. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> anyway, Ruby, physically amazing, cannot read. And there are multiple instances of Soren doing things, or saying things, thinking things. Wait, can Soren read? Yes. Did Soren learn to read in, like, our few chapters here? Yep. I mean, I'm sure Gilfie learned to read real quick. Oh, yeah, Gilfie's a natural. Don't even, don't even you worry about Gilfie. I feel like Twilight would struggle, though, because that's not a thing you pick up from the Orphan School of Hard Knocks. Ooh, I kind of wish we had gotten to see Twilight struggle with it. You know, Twilight probably would just avoid it outright and not even try. Yeah. If I know anything about, you know, gifted kids, it's when something's hard, we don't try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Ruby 
Oh, and just to finish out the band, um, Digger absolutely is capable oh, yeah. of learning to read, mm-hmm. but is much more focused on doing other tracking things. He just has bigger feelings. Yeah, he, yeah. He has too many feelings to read. Well, and also he's much more interested in just, you know, going into holes, climbing down to the dark, you know, running on the ground. That it's sort true. of thing. It's true. It's true. <laughs> so Soren has multiple thoughts about Ruby. Uh-huh. In the, oh, she's not dumb, but vain. No, she's probably just dyslexic. That was my first thought. She's just Percy Jackson. She's just... She's just Percy Jackson. Her brain is just wired for ancient Greek. Her brain is just wired for flying. Her brain is just wired for um ancient owl speak, which did not have a written tongue. Uh, a written yeah. language. He makes fun of her terrible handwriting, which doesn't seem fair since they're owls and yeah. they don't have hands. Uh, show me an owl with good handwriting, uh, please. I would love to see an owl <laughs> with good handwriting. Do they, do they write? All right. How do owls write? Do they, one, dip their beak in ink and then scratch no. out letters mm-hmm. like that? Two, do they dip their talons in ink and scratch out letters like that? Three, do they hold a pen with their beak? Or four, do they hold a pen with their talons? And of course, those pens, if they were, would be quill pens that they pluck from their own feathers. I can tell you for a fact the answer to this question. Would you like to know it now, or would you like to wait for it to happen in fiction? I'm going to... Are we going to remember when it does happen in fiction? Because that's like two books from now. Yeah, no, just tell me. So there is a scene of Ezelrib, specifically, dipping a quill... Into an ink pot that he holds in his talons. Okay. So. And it is supposedly very hard for him because he is missing a talon. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But he's still able to do it. And he is writing, in fact, the story of our character. Of course. Of course. <laughs> have to have that framing mechanism. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, and is it clear that that quill is one that he plucked from himself? I feel like I remember that being a thing. I would have to read it again, but that's probably the case. That does feel like an Ethelrib thing to do, even yeah. if other owls don't do it. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I have for ableism for now. There is another character who comes back in at the very, very end, like literally the last ten pages. Uh-huh. Is that... Do we get Eglantine back at the end of this We first book? get Eglantine back at the end of uh-huh. this second book. And she's basically just traumatized, if I remember right. Yeah, and I, and I do think the way she is spoken of, this is the, the vocab word we ended on. Yeah. Gizzlemia. Yeah, where it's like she is deeply traumatized and to the point of not really talking, if I remember right. She does talk. Sort of. Oh, are they going for aphasia? Where, like, you can't find the right words for things? No, she knows exactly what words she's got, and she likes them. Gizzlemia is a blankness of the gizzard. Uh, I think the closest human equivalent we would have is, like, depression mixed with shock. Uh-huh. Where she just, or she cannot focus, she doesn't PTSD? recognize anybody. PTSD, yeah. Um, But she's not getting flashbacks either. She's just living... In her head all the time, and she cannot uh-huh. get out. She's living in her gizzard, and she cannot get out. She has no connection to the real world. She's just babbling uh-huh. all the time. Yeah, yeah. In just kind of the most stereotypical possible depiction uh-huh. of any mental health issue ever. Yeah. If there is a mental health issue that Hollywood has done, she has it. Mm-hmm. That's where Eglantine's at at the end of this book. 
Which is rough. Yeah, absolutely. And again, very early 2000s, right? Uh Like, oh, we're going to be so brave by trying to handle these topics at all. And in doing so, we're probably going to do more damage than if we just hadn't touched it. Yeah. Like, I do kind of get having Soren as the audience surrogate, like, initially being uncomfortable with Ezra's visible disabilities. But it's excessive. And then being forced to confront that in himself and throughout the books, coming to really love and respect Ezelrib. But you're right that it's probably a bit much there. You had to read it and I didn't. Which he does. He does come to love and respect Ezelrib within the scope of even just the back half of this book. But it's still excessive because every time his missing talon is described, it's described as grotesque. Yeah. It's a lot. Missing a digit feels like a very low-level disability or disfigurement to be constantly focusing on every time you notice it, you know? Especially when there's basically a war going on. Yeah. Like, our band is not super aware of it, but there are lots of owls who are fighting with metal battle claws. You're telling me there's not more amputees out there? Come Uh on. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-uh. You're telling me this is the first owl ever to be missing a talon? Also, the y'all... raptor center in my hometown would like to dispute that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could lose a talent to just a particularly aggressive uh, field mouse, you know? <laughs> particularly vicious field mouse. Well, if if uh, the Guardians of Gahul ever try to go and prey on a Redwall colony, you know. Uh, my bet's on Redwall. Yeah, yeah. The, the road is... I mean, they could bring out a badger... And we're really screwed. Um, screwed? Too close to a swear to, for us to use? Do you have an owl equivalent for me? You're the one who had like 15 vocab words today. Yes, but none of them were owl equivalents for screwed. You we know don't... what? That's just bonk. <laughs> no, bonk is for fire. I'm reusing it in a different way. But, you know, it's, it, you, you know what when you see it. Okay, so that was our chat about ableism and Ezelrib. And we have now flown through a storm. Yes, we flew through a storm with weather interpretation. We come back. Or weather interpretation or forecasting? I don't remember. Uh, weather interpretation. Uh-huh. And have we done any coilering yet? No, not yet. Because I believe we then go to a forest fire next. We do, and that is not the next big event. Oh, what do we have first? Uh, first we gotta get Miss P into her harp guild. Oh, yeah, because there's the whole Nestmate Snake drama happening in the background that probably does not get nearly enough words devoted to it. Which, would you like some more Miss Plithover discomfort? Always. Oh, good. She's talking, uh, just for context, she's talking to another snake. The Harp Guild is the most prestigious, and I think it's my destiny to become a member, the other snake was saying. You know... The way the owls feel things in their gizzards? Now, I know we don't have gizzards, but even so. Mercy! The very idea! Miss P sounded genuinely shocked by the suggestion. She spoke sharply now. I think it is very presumptuous of us to ever think of ourselves as anything like these noble owls. We are not of their station. Now, she goes on to say, she apparently doesn't have feelings of inferiority. 
Uh-huh. Um, she's the very best nest make snake ever, but would never presume to share anything she, with owls. She almost had something there of like, hey, yeah, we're not owls. We don't have gizzards. We have very different lives that also have our own cool stuff. We managed to move around without having limbs. <laughs> she doesn't seem so interested in that. She manages to move around without being able to see um, or fly like everybody else in these books do. She saved the band from mobbing crows of this book. She saved like, the they band. They would all be dead without her. They would all be stuck in Mirror Lake without her. That too, Because yeah. she chased them out with her sternness. Uh-huh. Again, again with the ableism, it's very much this wise old blind lady who uh-huh. who apparently knows her place. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, it's gross. It's gross. Which was kind of my next talking point is I, I don't know. We we've, we've got these books that are are very interested in this justified rebellion, this causes belli, this, you know, metaphorically removing barriers between owls. And is only going to go harder on that point as we go on. And then we have these reinforced hierarchies, and it still seems very pro-hierarchy. Uh-huh. It's like house elves, and I hate it. Uh-huh. Yeah. The hierarchies within our race are bad, <laughs> but the ones outside of it, to distinguish Those are us fine? from other species in this case, are totally fine. I don't get it. So I remember this being uncomfortable for me even as a kid. Uh-huh. Of course, I didn't have, like, the racial language, especially as a little white kid, you know, especially as a little white kid. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have the language to express why this was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think that that's part of why I stopped reading these as a kid. Probably. So here's my lukewarm take number two. This book, the second book, The Journey. It's bad. I think it's very forgettable in a lot of places. Yep, that's why it's bad. Yeah, it's kind of like the the last third of the first book and the first third of the next book are kind of stuck together. Yeah. But we can't publish kids' books that are longer than 250 pages, so we had to split two books into three. Like, I had fun with all this owl vocabulary just because I knew I was going to throw it at you. Uh-huh. But honestly... It's too much. It's trying to make us feel as disoriented as Soren is supposed to feel, but instead it just blocks you from ever engaging with the parts of the books that are interesting because you don't understand what's happening in them. Here we are flying in a hurricane and bogged down with hurly-burlies and swillages. Also, we spent the whole first half of this book establishing the band and the relationships between these four characters and the love that they have for each other, and now they immediately get separated. Yep. And rather than fighting that, they're all like, oh, cool, I guess here's my new group of friends. Yep. Here's my new group of people, and we only follow Sorens. Occasionally, we still get Gilfie, because uh-huh. Gilfie is still the best girl. Um, But Digger and Twilight, from this point on, they don't really matter. Like, they in do come book. back. They do yeah. come back in other books. We see more from them. I think Twilight does one important thing in this book. Um, we have one talk about it, what it means to be an owl with Digger. But the things they do, the things they say, have no impact on Soren at this point. Yeah. Soren doesn't... I guess Soren grows in his relationship with Ezelrib and, like, 
coming to respect him rather than fearing him. Does the Soren change in any other meaningful way in the second half of this book? Oh, that's a big question, and we spend a whole lot of pages having conversations about it. Oh, we didn't finish talking about how Ms. P's harp guild drama resolves. Sure. It, it's more conversations. Yes. The entire back half of this book is conversations with people that we don't talk to again. So most of this book is dialogue, is what you're saying. So much of it. So it is perfectly set for a stage adaptation. No. <laughs> I, I don't want it. Oh, other important. Quick, does, how does the Harp Guild drama end? Does Miss P end up in the Harp Guild where Ms. all the P, best snakes go? Miss P ends up in the best snake guild, the Harp Guild, as the G-flat because she's a slip tween who can jump octaves by jumping through the harp chords. Good for you, Miss P. Good for you, Miss P. And she Actually, only gets it. Guess why she gets it? That's right, it's nepotism. <laughs> oh, I was going to guess by rack dropping on and um subtly sabotaging the other snake she was talking to before who considered itself equal to the owls. I would respect that would have been the more interesting choice. No, Soren just goes and talks to the owl who runs the harp guild. Because of course an owl runs the harp guild. Of course, of course. Actually, now that you're talking about it and you're reminding me that each of the snakes has their own string, mm -hmm. it kind of reminds me of like a bell choir, you know? Yeah, very much so. One note and then you have a conductor. Very much so. And she's on the G flat and jumps an octave up. Yeah, yeah. Which makes her special in the harp guild because Miss mm -hmm. B has to be the best nestmate snake. Of course. And also the table. She works so <laughs> what do the owls hard. What do the owls in this tree even do? What do they spend their free time doing? Burying pellets, um, reading books and writing books, and flying in dangerous weather. So what I'm hearing is when you have a maid to do all the labor for you, your free time opens up to do artistic pursuits. Uh-huh. <laughs> they have parties that go till like 4 a.m. And then they kind of sleep the whole rest of the next of the day. And then they go and they visit each other. Oh, wait. No, that's Jane Austen. It's the same. It's exactly. the same thing. So yeah, we we go hook Miss P up with her harp or whatever. Next. Also, everyone else likes their chaws, yeah. Oh yeah, Twilight gets the search and rescue chaw. He's pumped. Digger gets tracking. He's pumped. Gilfy gets navigation and is honored because she doesn't think that Strixstruma likes her. But, oh my gosh, I must be so smart. And where the rest of us are like, Gilfy, oh, we are the best girl. Also, like, Utlissa really wanted to be in navigation and gets tapped for her. Yes. Weather instead and is quite annoyed about that. So, in case you're curious, Utlissa has spent the last 80 pages complaining about uh -huh. why she's in the coiling cha and how it's so unrefined. And she tries to go get her cha changed. Uh -huh. She spends every page she's on whining. So, uh, Gilfy is the ideal of, like, what a Hermione character is like. And Lissa is, is like what it's like to go to school with someone who kind of is a Hermione character. Yes! It makes me really sorry for anybody who had to go to school with me. Same. <laughs> Fortunately, our coiling chaw is really good at literally getting her to put a mouse in it. Uh-huh. Where they just shove a mouse in her face. Hey, yep. eat. Pretty much. That's how they tell her, or they tell her to uh, blow off, which is also a good one. Uh-huh. These owls are kind of jerks to each other. Like, I guess Ezelrib is like, 
the old crotchety master who, you know, doesn't really take too much stock you in. You know, you would think that. And then we get scenes of Ezelrib going and telling wet poop jokes with the seagulls. Oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying is like, but doesn't really stand by like standards of like owl society. We'll just, you know, he's old enough that he can do what he wants. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Ulysses is annoying. <laughs> That's nothing new. Let's see. We also have Soren in the cha and Ruby. Mm-hmm. Is Primrose mm-hmm. in the cha too? Or Prim- uh, Primrose is not in the cha yet. We'll see more of Primrose next book. Is she buddies with Eglantine? Is that she what do is with buddies her? with Eglantine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Martin is another one we'll see a lot. Martin the saw wet. Uh huh. Who's also like in Eglantine's class, and he's pretty. Uh, Martin's with us now. Oh, Martin is with us now. But he's pretty small physically. Mm-hmm. He's just a little guy. Yeah, he's just, just a little guy. guy. Um, and we're all going to a forest fire. It's forest fire time. Is this the forest fire that they caused several weeks ago, or a different one? You know, that's a good question. It's probably a different one. They don't say. I mean, I guess they wouldn't really have a way of knowing. Uh, but they do. They're just going to straight up go fly into a firefighter. They go and fly into a forest fire. And that's like really dangerous flying because air currents just go, uh, go yoinks out there. And because, yeah, all those vocab words that I gave you earlier, a fire blinking, which is when you go yeep upon seeing fire. Uh-huh. Uh, pressure differentials, crowning, and all that. Inversion. Inversion. All the ones you got right, uh-huh. that's what happens here. Yeah, I grew up in forest fire country, so I know some of those words. But could you fly into a forest fire and come out with a live coal in your beak? Absolutely not. Well, then you're less than Soren, apparently. Uh-huh. However, the smoke jumpers, they could do it. The smoke jumpers are pretty awesome. I couldn't do that. Anyway, yeah, we well, are flying... Uh, Whose idea is it to grab coal, smoldering coals from the forest fire? Oh, no. Is this that, what they're going to do? That's their job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not forest fire fighters. Their job is to go get fire. I mean, how could they fight a forest fire as owls? Look, if they can pick live coals up in their beak with buckets fashioned from metal, they can get some sporinking water to put on that fire. Yeah, but like an owl-sized bucket of water is really not going to make a difference out of forest An owl-sized bucket of fire is not going to make a big difference? You can start a large fire with a small fire. You can't put out a large fire with a small bucket of water. I just think it's silly to have owls flying into fire when they're made of feathers. Yeah, but that's like the cool thing that Soren's Chod does. You know, we have to give him a special skill set to bring into the rest of the series. Which, he does do something special in this forest fire. Which is he grabs a coal with his own beak rather than with a bucket, yeah? Or is there something before that? Let's see. Oh, A, we, we should probably do this do this part too. Special thing number one for Soren. Uh, he gets asked a question about how he thinks the fire is going to move through this forest uh, by Ezelrib. And Ezelrib asks, and how do you know that, lad? I feel it in my gizzard. That is Pretty much his answer. Giz tuition. Giz tuition. I see it in my mind. I can imagine it. I feel something. I think in my gizzard about the movement of air and heat. And at that point, Ezelrib cuts him off and says, yeah, okay, shut up. You got giz tuition. You're great. Anyway. Okay. Sherlock Holmes, as portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) I mean, yeah, a little bit. Or as portrayed by Robert Downey Jr. Honestly, most Sherlock Holmes is fit there. Anyway, so this this is what, like, Soren starts to go, I am something special, Wee! 
Because our specialist boy has to be special. Yeah. Feels good to be the special boy that you always knew you were. He's only going to get specialer. Oh, of course. Do you remember how special this boy's going to get? Think he ends up being king. Yeah, it's going to get ridiculous, y'all. <laughs> so just keep in the back of your minds. Oh, He's just a can't dummy. wait to be king. He's a dummy. And then, while in the forest fire, one of the trees crowns. Yes, which is very dangerous because the fire starts spreading a lot faster when a tree crowns. And when it does that, there is a horrible updraft that probably would suck a small and light owl. Directly into the fire that's now above you. Right, exactly, exactly. So this happens to Soren while he's flying uh, very low near the ground of the fort trying to gather gather embers. Uh Uh-huh. And somehow, between the chapter break, he manages to escape that, grab a coal in a flying loop-de-loop, and get back to the others, all in a chapter break without us seeing it. <sighs> Makes me think of the a specific scene from the 1960s Batman movie, where Batman and Robin are magnetically stuck to a buoy, a missile is heading directly towards them, or a torpedo is, and then we just cut to them safe on dry land. Wow, if it weren't for that noble porpoise's heroic sacrifice. <laughs> That's horrible. I love that movie. Oh, but but it's the same. It's really frustrating. It's bad writing. This book is bad. I love it. And this book is bad. Uh-huh. This book's probably one of the weakest of the first six. Perhaps the weakest of the first six. And for some reason, that's not the last thing that happens. Uh, also, this is where Soren gets a cool, like, burn mark on his beak that's invisible. But Oh, like, he already forever. had that. Oh, no. I, yeah, he did from the first half of this book. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, Ezorib can see that with his... One and a half eyes? Yeah, yeah. They make a big deal of that. Uh Uh-huh. That is kind of a classic trope of fiction of, you know, someone has something weird with their eyes and then they can see things other people can't. You know, it falls back into a lot of ableist traps. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it does. So we have one last thing that has to happen. Uh, We've talked a lot about, like, the structure of fiction and why the structure of this book in particular is bad. So if there's one more sin that this book could do mechanically, what's it going to be? Hmm. Let's see. We've already talked about that it ends on a different cliffhanger of Eglantine returning. Yep. Um, So you're not talking about that. No. So that's a mechanical sin for sure. Uh Uh-huh. It's a little bit more forgivable because these books were, like, published every year, perhaps even more frequently. We've got the genre change. That's yes. a mechanical sin. Uh-huh. Happening at the midpoint of the book. Yeah. Happening at the midpoint of the book. Ugh. Um. I don't know. What, what's the last minute? Did we change perspective suddenly? Oh, you end? know we changed perspective oh, I got it. suddenly at the end. Who do we change perspective to out of nowhere? Let's do it this way. There's two characters that I would not want to be in the head of. Utlissa? Utlissa's one of them. Who's the other one? Um. Who's the only other owl as annoying as Utlissa? Twilight? Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to go jump into Twilight's head. Do we have more songs? We, yeah, we, yeah, we have more songs. Uh-huh. This book is full of songs. Okay, I actually need to say a thing because I haven't said it on the show yet. I really want to hear what our listeners' interpretations of the songs from these books. So if you have any of the songs or poems from the first two books that you think you could set to music or do a good audio performance of i would love to hear them send them to gahooliganspod at gmail.com we will play them on the show also can be sent to our tumblr account what's that tumblr account 
uh, at Gahooligans Pod. We also have a Twitter, um, which is at Gahooligans Pod as yeah, well. Yeah, who did us do it? Anyway, we should probably have done that after we were done talking about the book. <laughs> anyway, Twilight. We have to go to Twilight's perspective because there's. Well, okay, there's not no one else around. We could have gone to Digger's perspective, and we didn't because uh-huh. Digger has too many feelings. Uh-huh. Whereas Twilight has no feelings whatsoever. Uh, he has feelings, and they're all positive about himself. Which is, I guess, easier on the reader than, hmm, what is an owl? What does it mean to be an owl? Well, we'd learn more from the latter, but we get Twilight. We get Twilight. Do you remember what Twilight is doing? Is he fighting? He's not fighting. Is he coming in to assist the forest, the coal gatherers? Of course not. Uh, that would make too much sense to do in the last ten oh, pages just, of the book. He's just showing off, just being a cool dude. He is, with his search and rescue chaw, picking up downed owlets. Oh, yes. Just like was happening with the previous forest fire, too. Mm-hmm. It's almost only, like there's a pattern. Only this is not a forest fire. He is elsewhere in the world. We hop oh. across the world to get to Twilight, who is in and a this, whole other forest. Is this our last chapter, or second to last chapter, or our third to last chapter? Uh, this looks like... Is this where he finds this Eglantine? This is our third or fourth to last, and this is where he finds Eglantine. Not just Eglantine, either. Uh-huh. It's like a whole bunch of owls that were like on transport to St. Aggie's, if I remember right. It's unclear at this point. There are, for whatever reason, hundreds of owlets all on the ground, and they're all rescued, and Twilight even sings him his, you know, his wonderful song to the owlet that he's rescuing about how awesome Twilight is and how the owlet's going to be safe with Twilight. Oh, I think I actually know the tune that this is supposed to go to. (laughs) Hush, little owl, you're with Twilight. I got the moves to get you by. Yeah, it's awful. I feel like someone like Bruno Mars or Jason Derulo could no, pull it off. No, no. Oh, God. Now I have the mental image of Twilight the Owl doing the Jason Derulo. I was just thinking moves like Jagger. Is that one of those two or am I completely off base? Twilight the Great Horned. <laughs> Gross. Anyway, yeah, we're picking owls up off the ground. And they're all like teeny tiny babies, can't fly, but they're all out of their nests. Do you remember why? It's not St. Aggie's. Uh It is the you only wish. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, it is some mysterious evil group of owls who have also been kidnapping owlets and fighting with St. Aggie's over owlets. I believe there was a fight over these owlets, and that's why there's all the owlets around the ground. Yup. So it's just a battlefield full of orphaned children. All of which is, at this point, unknown to us. At this point in the book, the only thing we know is that Twilight is in this forest picking up owlets. And we don't know why or why the owlets are there. There's just a bunch of little babbling titos. It's a good piece of intrigue. No, it's not. You put your intrigue at the beginning of the book, not at the end. This is a mechanical writing scene. But if I put it at the end, then they'll have to read the next book to figure out what the intrigue was about. And that worked on me when I was 10. Now I can look at it and go, that is a poor writing choice. Well, I'm who- sorry. Sorry, Catherine Lasky. I love your books. I feel like they did a lot. And also, this is poor writing. Well, 
Sounds like 10-year-old you disagreed with that, so... 10-year-old me also really stopped judge. reading the books, though. That's and true. I think it was after the next one that I stopped reading. Uh-huh. Anyway, these little freaks. <laughs> these little outlet freaks. Because they are little outlet freaks at first. Well, they're little outlets who are very confused and still trying to process what's happening. They're little racist babies. Okay, they are little racist babies. You're right. You're right. They're little racist babies. I forgot. The things that they're babbling about are all like racial purity. They are all racial purity. Every single one of them. Just imagine a hundred toddlers sitting naked in a forest and saying, oh, white people all the time. That's what we have here, but with owls. But that's okay that these owlets are just babbling crazy racistness because Twilight is here to sing them songs and take them back to the Gahul tree. And- He's actually really offended when one of the racist owlets interrupts his song. Well, yeah, you <laughs> you gotta let the man finish his song. And it's all with the same, my Taito, my Taito, why hast thou forsaken me? So we're going full Shakespeare with our racism. Uh-huh. Uh, and it is so bad, so terrible, so many racist owlets that Ezelrib is going to leave the Gahul tree to come here and help. Yes. And this is unusual. This is uh-huh. not a thing that happens. That matters for yes, later. Not for this book. Doesn't matter for uh-huh. this book. I believe the inciting incident to the next book is that Ezelrib doesn't come back. Yeah, you would think that, and oh my glocks, we will get there. That's not what happens. That's not the inciting incident. That's not? I feel like Ezelrib going missing is like the whole third book. Oh, it is. He's missing the whole third book. Until the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we mm-hmm. don't spend the whole third book looking Mm-mm. for him. Of course not. Mm-mm. Of course not. That would be too interesting. You're going pretty hard today, hon. I don't think this book is well-structured. It's called The Journey. What was our journey here? Um, well, before we wrap up, um, what was Alyssa's perspective about near the end? I don't care. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Clearly it doesn't matter. Lissa doesn't matter. Um, you said that you'd come back to the owl afterlife a little bit more this time. Do you have anything there, or are uh, we I good? do have a little bit, just because that's our inciting incident for the next book. So we should have a little bit of context for that, right? Oh, does that happen at the end of this book or at the start of the next one? So Eglantine. Yes, we find her. Yes, and but... she's just babbling Taito supremacist nonsense. Yep. Yep. We say that she is, um, Giza, I don't remember the word now. Gizolmia. Yeah, she has Gizolmia. She's retreated into her gizzard. But earlier on in the book, as the foreshadowing for this, we have a conversation between Soren and Miss Plithifer about Eglantine, about what might have happened to her. And, you know, we get this, it's not, it's the not knowing that's so hard. If she's mm-hmm. dead or alive. And if she's dead, it doesn't help me one bit to think of her being in Glaumora if I am here and she is there. You know, classic heaven argument, whatever. I want to jump back to Glaumora and Hagsmire real quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those, that would be a great name for a legendary duo of Pokemon. It's true. Th- oh my goodness, yes. Give me, yeah, give me that owl legendary. Both of them. But... But, 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 here is the part of the owl owl afterlife I want to share with you. Oh, if she's in heaven and I'm here, that's too hard. I can't do that. And Miss Plithiver says, No, of course not. 
she's too young to be in Glaumora. What? There is an age cap on Owl Heaven. Well, there is an age limit. There's an uh, age bar? Yeah. Yeah. There is an age bar on Owl Heaven. Like, do do dead owlets go to, like, specific, like, Owlet Heaven instead? Or they go to Purgatory because they haven't lived enough of a life to determine one way or the other? I don't know. Neither does Soren, this... and he spends the rest of this chapter going, "Oh, but she could it be? She could be at Saint Aggie's, or she could be at the something worse, you know, the you uh-huh. only wish." Ah, but uh-huh. she's not in heaven. That's not a possibility. Is her being in Hexmire a possibility? Also <laughs> unclear. <laughs> Although I think in oh. the in the scope of this world, you have to be like. Pretty bad. Yeah, you have to, to go be, to Hagsmire. You have to be an evil owl. You have to be a Jat and Jut cannibal owl. So after doing that foreshadowing and saying she could be with the the you know you only wish she was, of course she was. Where the you only wish is is owl racists. Uh huh. It's the owl KKK. Yeah, yeah. Because we already met the owl Nazis. Yes. Owl Nazis. That was Saint Aggie's. Uh-huh. Owl KKK. That's the next book. The you only wish for now. So this entire book of quote unquote the journey is just set up for the next better book. Uh huh. This book not good. Hot take. But hey, we finished it. I I finished it. I got enough of it from you to say that I finished it too. <laughs> you got all the important bits. Do you I want guess... me to go and read it now? No, I, no. Mm-mm. Okay. Skip it, go to number three. Well, I can't read number three yet. That'll kind of break the premise of the show we've established so far. I guess the last book, the first book, had a coherent theme. And, yeah. and I, I talked about that in the last uh-huh. episode, that there are things worth the, worse than death, and we should fight them. That was the argument of the first book. Yes. What is the argument of this second book? Growing up is hard and feels bad? Have you read children's literature? But like, I know, like, we can do better than that, but also... Oh. They call it the journey, so it has to be about growing up, but none of our characters changed. Uh-huh. Except Eglantine. But she wasn't really a character. Right, exactly. She doesn't count, because we meet her for, like, what, ten pages? She's oh, and a I, static character there. I the did end. forget. She's not a static character. Eglantine has more character growth in 10 pages than Soren does in two books. And yeah, see, this is the sort of uh, blueprint that Zack Snyder was able to take. Uh, for his best female character, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so not only do we find Eglantine, we also do cure her immediately of her racist ramblings. Just by seeing Soren? No, that doesn't work. It breaks Soren's heart. Ms. P? Doesn't work. Breaks Soren's heart. Um, Bug Song? The song about how she loves to eat centipedes? Uh, that would have been a good one, but no. That would have been a better mechanical choice, but no. I have no clue. Or is it's, it the Legends of Gahul? No, they try that, though. Uh, Soren actually does have that idea of going, well, when we were trying to be, you know, trying to prevent moon scalding, this is what we did. So he tries that on Eglantine, no effect. Because she has full Gizelmia. Thanks to Utlissa, who tells us that and is entirely unhelpful this whole time. Um, honestly, she's kind of rude. She comes up to Soren and is uh-huh. like, hey, do you want to know the word for your sister's terrible affliction? Here it is. Thanks. Yeah. Um, 
No, it's a piece of stained glass. You're telling me an owl stained this glass? No, the others did. Which oh. We mentioned the others in the last 10 pages of this book. Yes, dead human society. Mm-hmm. Dead human society who live in churches. Eglantine sees one piece of stained glass, flips the freak out. Those are all owl swears, right? I can say that? Sure. And then is cured. Does it work on any of the other outlets? We don't bother examining that. Cool. Presumably, but they don't try. The book just ends. Man, having Eglantine, like the lost sister, being stuck in like a deep, dark place and then having to deal with that in the next book, that's such a strong start for your next book. But no, she's cured. But here's the thing. We don't actually want to examine, you know, mental illness. Uh We don't actually want to pay that any attention. We just want to have it as a plot point. Uh Uh-huh. What did they get this piece of stained glass from? Like the magpie merchant? Yeah, the magpie. Uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which we Trader haven't Mags. talked about. Yeah, Trader Mags. Trader Mags. We meet her for less than a chapter. Yeah. Oh, well, that was the journey. It sure is a journey. Um, was there anything else we need to talk about with this book, or can we go to my <sighs> owl fact corner? I resent this book. I remember putting the series down after book three, and I think maybe it was this book's fault. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I look forward to seeing you like every other book more than this one. I'm smiling and nodding. I really hope you're right. I genuinely do not know, because I don't think I ever had, like, serious critical opinions on these books growing up. I just liked them because it was cool owls do fighty things. Except they didn't. In this whole book, they didn't do cool owl fighty things. But they had the lore. No, there really wasn't. Very it was much a lore whole either. book of lore. It was a whole book of character exposition because we don't have actual characters. I have feelings. Okay. Can I cool you off with an Owl Fact Corner? Hit me. All right. Welcome back to PB's Owl Fact Corner. If you haven't been here before, I have three Owl Facts. Two of them are true, one of them is false. It's your job to tell me which one. So, are you ready for our Elf Owl edition? Heck yeah, Gilfy, my ace rep, let's do it. All right, fact number one. Elf owls are the world's smallest owls, standing at five inches tall and weighing just 100 grams, around the weight of a stick of butter. Ooh. Fact number two. Elf owls are the smallest species of owl. As a result, they face more natural predators than their larger kin, so they tend to play dead when they are threatened or captured. Fact number three, elf owls aren't blessed with the silent flight of most other owls. They don't have like those fancy feather fringes like I talked about with barn owls last time. Or maybe it was on the first episode? First episode, primaries, yeah. Yeah, they don't have the properly fringed primaries, they're noisier flyers. But that doesn't really matter when your diet is entirely insects like crickets, scorpions, and moths. Okay, so here's the thing. Your first two sentences, your first two facts... Both contain the phrase, elf owls are the smallest owls, which means both should be true or both should should be false. I should say, I'm doing a little bit more granular here. Like, the general idea of all three of these is true, but I have something wrong in one of them, and it's owl related. Oh, okay. Uh, So I know for a fact, in number three, Gilfie mentions not having primaries and being a noisier flyer. 
So I know that that part of number three is true. I wonder if there might not be more to their diet than just insects, but also they are pretty small, so maybe not. But maybe they also eat snakes, you know? Um, I did say your diet mostly consists of insects. Okay, so in that case, I'm going to let number three drop. I think that one's true. Number two, the smallest owl and they, they, play, dead. they play dead. That does not seem like a valid owl survival strategy. And the number one was they are the stick weight of a stick of butter. Uh-huh. They stand five inches tall and they weigh a stick of butter. I mean, they are hollow boned. I'm gonna I'm gonna say number two is where the the false bit is. Alright, locking in? Locking in, number two. Uh what do you think is specifically false about the playing dead? Yeah. Um, that is incorrect. Elf owls oh. do play dead, at least like when captured in captivity. So that's like their go to I'm in trouble thing is play dead because they're hoping that like a larger predator will like relax their mouth and let them escape you know huh that does not seem like a good plan evolution the actual truth is that elf owls are even lighter they weigh only 40 grams which is the weight of two double a batteries half a stick of butter Uh uh-huh owls you're you were right on the right track with them having hollow bones owls are really really light for how big they are like, even wow. big owls are only a few pounds. So, yeah. So, Gilfy weighs as much as two batteries in your hand. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my glocks. I should say, oh, my glocks. I think gosh is acceptable. Glosh? Glosh? It's like the more polite version of glocks. That just makes me think of rain boots, galoshes. So, yeah. Elf owls are the teeniest, tiniest owls. They stand, like, five inches tall. They have, a, like, a ten-inch wingspan. They weigh 40 grams. They play dead, and they eat bugs. So you're telling me I could have an owl I could hold in my, my palm? I, I mean, it would flop over like it was playing dead because it would be scared. That would um, still be cute. Yeah, but it wouldn't be a good time for the owl, so I don't suggest that's, it. That's fair. That's true. You, maybe if you came in like offering some crickets, then it would be your friend. I would like to befriend a stick of butter owl. It's not a stick of butter. A half a stick of butter owl. Yeah, yeah. Also, in, in totally unrelated owl news, did you hear about the owl that was freed slash escaped from a New York zoo and is in Central Park now? No. Uh, I don't know if it's... By the time this episode's aired, it may have been returned to the zoo, but apparently it was an in-captivity owl, has escaped to Central Park, and has learned to hunt there. So good job, Falco the Owl. Good job, Falco the Owl. He's also a European owl and should not be in Central Park. Yeah, yeah. All right, we ready to wrap up for the night? Yeah, what am I supposed to say? Um, well, I want to, first of all, repeat that you can uh, follow the show on Twitter or on Tumblr at GoHooligansPod, or you can email us at GoHooligansPod at gmail.com. I want to thank Morgan Jackson for our music. You can find more of his music at WeDidTheTimeWarpAgain.Bandcamp.com. You'll find that linked in the description. Um, Our cover art, which is the first episode recording while actually having that cover art, is by Matthias Lissack. He did an incredible job on it. Woohoo! So, uh, props to them. I want to thank the Moonshot Network, which is a little uh, collection of indie podcasters who get together and support each other. Uh, It has been a creative fire behind us so far, these first few episodes. I hope we're sticking with them for a long time. Um... You can catch me on one of their other shows, 
Champs in the Making, where you can hear me ranking Pokemon. I'm on the last few episodes of that when this episode comes out. And I will be doing some Patreon-exclusive book talk roundtables with some of the other fabulous book talks on the network, like the Percy Jackson podcast. Yeah, it's Unwise Girls. Unwise Girls. Super excited. Yeah, that should probably be up on the Patreon by the time that this episode comes out. We'll see. Uh, I think that's everything I needed to say, wrapping up. Uh, Reading for next time. Are we going to go to thirds of books rather than halves? Let's try for half again, because if I remember right about the third book, nothing happens. All right, so about the first half of the third book, which is titled The Rescue, if I remember right. The Rescue. The Rescue. Okay, well, I've been PB. I'm CJ. Don't forget, listen Listen to your gizzard. gizzard. Hey, you remember. getting kicked in the face at Warp Tour? Did you shatter your glasses in a mosh pit in 2007? Did you wear more studded belts than a Final Fantasy character? Then we have the show for you. We are So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast about third wave emo, late night live journal updates, burnt hair, and everything in between. Join us every second Saturday as we examine major moments in the history of emo and keep you updated on current events. Because it was never a phase. This April, the Moonshot Podcast Network is doing something new, unparalleled, something nobody has done before. We're asking you for money. This month is the first ever Moonshot Patreon drive. Between April 1st and 30th, we're hoping to bring in 30 new and upgrading patrons to patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork. That's one per day. The money we make on Patreon is what helps our podcasters get things like new mics, show art, and music. It also helps us put on our bigger streaming events, advertise our shows, and think even bigger. If you know us, you know we like to think bigger. Join the Patreon in April and you'll get a bunch of drive-exclusive new podcasts, including actual plays, improv comedy, and a roundtable show with some of the hosts of our book talk shows like Three Little Words and Kahooligans. $5 Patreons get to join us for a game night on our Minecraft server on April 7th where we take down the Ender Dragon together. You hate that guy, so do we. Help us kill him. You'll also get access to all of our usual monthly output like Once Missed Wonders, early episodes of Champs in the Making, and more. So please join us or upgrade with us today on Patreon for $1, $3, or $5 at patreon.com slash Moonshot Network. Visit us on Patreon or at Moonshot Pods on Twitter for more details about the drive. Patreon.com slash Moonshot Network.